the world was stunned. Yesterday, huge, or should I say huge, announcement out of Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> Who could have ever seen it coming? Yes, that's right. Donald Trump announced that he's running for president in 2024. And I, I saw a video. I don't know. I don't know how viral it went because as soon as I saw it, I said, well, that's obviously staged. About, oh, maybe 75, 80 people crowded around a TV over a bar in, I don't know, Florida, Texas, somewhere deep blue, all freaking out and having a, a verifiable mosh pit spraying their drinks and and who knows what else all over everywhere and i just thought who who is that surprised honestly of course he was going to run again in 2024 and now the propaganda mills fired up about it all the liberals are melting down no they're not that's just right-wing propaganda. Nobody's surprised. Sure, it's a good thing. I mean, it's definitely not a bad thing. I don't know why. I don't know why. On one hand, I don't know why he waited so long. And on the other hand, I don't know why he's announcing so early. Maybe to get out, do it before DeSantis. Maybe to discourage DeSantis from announcing that he's going to run also. I've expressed over the last few days my distaste, I suppose, for the Republican Party, the GOP. But I don't know. I mean, Trump he doesn't align himself with those people. I think the problem that Donald Trump had in his first term was getting reelected to a second term. I think that influenced a lot of his decisions. There was a lot of emphasis put on reelection by the people around him. And there's a weird duality with Trump. On on one hand, he wants he wants everybody to know that he's the man. A lot of people were brushing off the hostile comments. Maybe you could call them hostile. That he made about Ron DeSantis after the, the midterm elections and his landslide victory in, in Florida. When people brushed it off, dismissed it, and said, oh, that's just Trump being Trump. He's just letting everybody know that he's the man. Well, if you're going to make the argument that Trump is the man, or that he thinks he's the man, and he's made comments, especially when it came to criticisms about the people that he put in his cabinet, the advisors that he surrounded himself with, John Bolton, for example, He says, I keep them around me because 
I want to know what they have to say. But I'm the one that makes the decision. I hear what they have to say, and then I decide for myself. They don't decide for me. All right, well then, if that's the case, Mr. Trump, you've made some terrible decisions. You made terrible decisions about personnel. You made terrible decisions about COVID lockdowns. You made terrible decisions about your Department of Justice personnel and the director of the FBI, for example. But I don't really think that he really digested the information and thought long and hard and read through resumes and accomplishments and then made these decisions. I think he listened to his advisors that he thought he could trust and made his decisions based on that trust when that trust was misplaced. So you can't be the man and the ultimate authority and then also shift the responsibility for your bad decisions to the corrupt advisors that you decided to allow to advise you. Now, all that being said, I think Trump's got to be the guy in 24. If we have a hope of saving the country by doing things like draining the swamp, rooting out the corrupt bureaucrats and making meaningful changes like term limits and abolishing lobbying, etc. These were all claims that Trump made in his big, long, allegedly boring announcement speech. I didn't watch the whole thing. Honestly, if you've, if you've listened to one Trump speech, you've listened to all of them. But that's also sort of a positive thing. Because you can listen to a Trump speech and realize that he's saying all of the things that you're thinking and feeling. Yeah, we want secure elections. We want to get the money out of politics. We want the corrupt politicians gone. We want legislative infrastructure in place to stop corrupt polit- corrupt people from seeking political office. And so Trump got out there in front of everybody and said, hey, I want all of those things too. And I hope he does. I want to believe he does. But maybe he's just saying that because he doesn't want DeSantis to be able to say it. And he and DeSantis could be in close communication about the whole thing. I mean, if DeSantis announces that he's going to run, what do you think is going to happen in the media? I mean, the media would love it. They already started... I mean, immediately after the midterms, they launched the Trump v. DeSantis campaign. And I don't know who they should fear more. 
I mean, it's in, they have an unknown with DeSantis. And a hardcore juggernaut bastard in Trump. They know what they're getting with Trump. But they could be getting something far worse with DeSantis. I mean, do they do they have something on DeSantis? Does DeSantis have one drunken night with a prostitute in his closet somewhere? That's why the Epstein scandal was such a big deal. That's why we don't know who any of his clients were, even after two prosecutions of the biggest players in the Epstein sex ring. Yeah, we don't know any of the clients. And that's because, in my opinion, these operations exist to blackmail politicians into legislating and governing in the way that the globalist elite establishment wants them to govern. Hey, you went to this party, you hooked up with this girl, turns out she was underage. Now, if you don't want to go to prison, you're going to have to do everything we tell you. So if the establishment allows Epstein to live, allows Maxwell to go on record with the clients that she serviced, well, then the elite establishment loses their control over these politicians. And I don't mean just simply politicians. Media moguls, celebrities, anyone with power and influence. And it's been, I mean, it's not just one group. Look up Operation Midnight Climax. It was American intelligence officials, operations. Luring politicians, etc. to brothels. And the official story is that we were just, uh, we were just testing the effects of these uh, hallucinogenic substances. They were having the the prostitutes put drugs into the cocktails of their clients so that they could see, they claim, if these psychoactive substances would cause these politicians to give up state secrets. And it was just a fringe bonus that now they had this footage of these politicians cheating on their wives and partners with prostitutes. But don't worry. That operation was shut down in the 60s. And I, oh, we're all, yeah, we're all very embarrassed that it even took place to begin with. And we wouldn't dream of doing anything else like that in the future. No, they figured out that it worked, so they made it official. It's now a deep state shadow project. That's how it goes. They, they, they put Epstein in charge of it. <laughs> and now it's all part of the game. If you can't be bribed, if you can't be bought off, well, then you'll be blackmailed. And if you can't be bribed or bought off or blackmailed, then you'll be blackballed. You'll be erased from social media. And they'll rig the election against you.
Sorry. If you're not willing to play ball with the establishment, you don't get to play ball. It's the age-old tactic. The carrot or the stick. Most people choose the carrot. I have this article from the Gateway Pundit. Former NSC staffer exposes how corporations end up getting what they want from the federal government. Joshua Steinman posted a thread on Twitter explaining how corporations run the federal government. He explained in five steps how corporations gain their power and influence. The five steps are build the door, hire the doorman, outside game, create revolving door, and moving chess pieces on the board. Build the door was explained as running regular programs at think tanks in Washington, D.C. They invite top Capitol Hill staffers to the lunches as a way to create relationships. They then move on to the hire the doorman step. This means they hire a senior committee staffer to run their government affairs department. The third step is using the media. Steinman says they write up press releases about their events and send them to journalists looking to, quote, copy and paste stories. This is to get their name in the news. The fourth step is going after senior policymakers. Steinman says, quote, while you can't exactly tell them what to do, they'll not forget where they came from. The fifth and final step is them putting their allies in key parts of the government. Corporations try to have one to two senior government touch points in any given administration, according to Steinman. And now we can get into this full thread from Joshua Steinman. At Joshua Steinman on Twitter, if you'd like to read for yourself. He writes, what the heck, I'll just do a quick thread to open source what few people know but don't want to admit. How this op often gets run in Washington. First, build the door. Pick out a few key think tanks and start running regular programs there. Now, the definition, the dictionary definition of think tank, according to Merriam-Webster, is an institute, corporation, or group organized to study our particular subject, such as a policy issue or a scientific problem, and provide information, ideas, and advice. So, this is what we, this is what we pay for with our tax dollars. We pay taxes to politicians so that they can put together think tanks so that they don't have to do the job themselves. So, first, build the door. Pick out a few key think tanks and start running regular programs there. You want Brookings Lunch and Learn on. Your topic, presented by company, event with events every quarter. Target Top Hill staffers with free lunch. The lunch and learn, in quotes, should cover issues similar to those facing your company. Not direct. Don't make it too obvious. So they want to sneak around. Finance these think tanks. Invite the staffers of politicians to have a lavish free lunch. And then use that opportunity to find the suckers. Use the attendee list to build a Rolodex of folks your government affairs personnel will make 
regular point-to-point contact with in real life. These programs will grow. The think tank presidents will ask you to endow programs, chairs, etc. Then you get to have a say in who gets those jobs. All of a sudden, you've built yourself a small pipeline from the hill to a think tank. And you populate this think tank with the suckers, the naive staffers, the useful idiots. Second, hire the doorman. Now that you're running regular government affairs engagement in D.C., time to hire a hotshot senior committee staffer to run your government affairs shop, in quotes. Nominally, these are, quote, head of policy title roles, and their job is to keep tabs on what's happening in D.C. for you. Be mindful of who you are hiring. Party control of Congress is important, as is who controls the executive branch. But pros balance Democrats and Republicans, abbreviated DNR. This is why I refer you to OpenSecrets.org, where you can see who the biggest corporate donors are to political campaigns, and you can see that they balance between Democrat donations and Republican donations, because it's not about blue or red. It's about who's for sale. Usually your top candidates will have Hill experience and executive experience relevant to your company's area. Your head of government affairs should be doing things like hiring the right lobbyists, tracking both authorization bills and appropriations bills, keeping tabs on major policy debates inside the executive branch and responding to NPRMs, which is a notice of proposed rulemaking. And they should be leveraging their Rolodex to do this. Third, outside game. You built the door, hired the doorman. Now you need to create the illusion. That means running press ops. And that's why corporate control of the media is so important. A good comms leader or contract should be able to start getting you quoted in stories, driving news cycles. They should have a plan. Use your new think tank effort to drive content. Work with their press team to write up your events. Send those to content-starved journalists who are looking to basically copy-paste their stories. Throw in a few juicy quotes and boom. Read Trust Me, I'm Lying to learn more. He's referring to the book Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator by Ryan Holiday. I have to pick that one up. Fourth. Time to upgrade your earlier door to one that revolves. Now that you've got programs at think tanks, and you should have expanded to academia as well, creating more of an echo chamber, and your government affairs program, you can start to cultivate senior policymakers. This can be done on the cheap as well, by having your government affairs staff write for DC blogs in the policy-adjacent space. Takes less than 10 hours a month to put out one to two high-quality articles. This should be part of their job. Thought leadership. It's chief and effective. As you grow, your government affairs staff should start living a double life, working for you, but also running the party circuit in D.C. 
You'll know this is working once they start telling you what's going to happen before it happens. Because secrets are rarely secret in this town. Real success? When one of your people, your government affairs director, an academic you've been sponsoring, a think tanker you've supported, gets the nod to be a senior administration official, deputy assistant secretary of, at an agency, or director for, at the White House, etc. And you can see where it goes from there. There's a couple more points, but it's all pretty redundant if you're familiar with this program. And now on top of all of that, they find a really useful idiot. They'll steal an election for him and make him a politician that's supposed to represent you. Instead, they've been groomed to represent corporations. And we're living the fruits of that labor. Hey, thanks for hanging out. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. Please uh, rate, review, and share the show. I rely on you to spread the word. I'll be back. Goodbye.